Do you want the secret to becoming a profitable entrepreneur? It's not working 80 hours a week. It's not missing out on all the fun stuff in life. It's not feeling overwhelmed or burned out. While becoming an entrepreneur does require hard work, don't get me wrong, it's not what's going to make your business successful. If you want to truly become a profitable entrepreneur, you need to learn how to master your mindset, evolve your skills, and market your services to your ideal customer. You must commit to mastery, become the best at what you do, and never stop learning. Becoming a profitable entrepreneur is 100% possible, and I will teach you how in my free five-day workshop, Profitable Entrepreneur. I want, you to, I want to personally invite you, podcast listener of mine, and you can sign up. The link is on the description of this podcast episode. See you there. This is How She Owns It, a podcast dedicated to female entrepreneurs and those visionaries who left their 9 to 5 to own their time, their finances, and their joy in life by building their own businesses. I'm your host, Pauline Malabai, digital business strategist, director of operations, and agency owner of PMC, where our mission is to cater to visionaries with strategy, coaching, and implementation support. Each week, I give business wisdom and chat with other CEOs on how they are owning their happiness in life. Tune in to find out how to move the needle forward in your business and fully step into your role as CEO. Hello, friends. Welcome to How She Owns It, a podcast dedicated to female entrepreneurs and boss moms who left their 9 to 5 to own their time, their finances, and their joy in life by building their own businesses. In this episode, I am so excited. I have Lisa Peterson. Lisa, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. So tell our listeners about your journey so far and your background. So I am a money and business coach, uh, also an author, and I am someone who made money a very big part of my life early on. I decided that I wanted to be a millionaire. I think I was in my mid-20s, and within 10 years, I reached that ability with my husband's assistance. And I really set about mastering understanding of money, how to make it, how to invest it, how to take what, you know, whatever we could earn and save and then make more of it. And so that's part of my story. But about six years ago, I started my business. I left my financial advising position uh, working for a big company and set out to figure out you know, ways that I could help business owners Mm -hmm. do the same for themselves. Because one thing that I noticed when I was a mortgage banker and when I was a financial advisor is that oftentimes it is the business owners that have the least resources. We hear the success stories about all the money that, you know, somebody like Tim Ferriss might make because of his podcast or his business platform. But we don't hear about all the businesses that are barely getting by, like what I would call entrepreneurial poverty. And my parents were people that did that. They were self-employed and they never really had enough money to save and invest 
And so my passion is about helping people make sure that they are not a statistic in in that negative sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think right now, um, you know, starting a business and being, you know, the entrepreneurial founder kind of title is is glamorized a lot. And, you know, it's such a great mission that you're you're, um, doing, kind of dedicating your business to helping small business and and business owners. What kind of um, steps do you think that, people who are listening and thinking, okay, well, I feel like I'm in entrepreneurial poverty. <laughs> Lisa, <laughs> help me out. A lot of our listeners, um, some of them are kind of small business owners as well, who are kind of like one year in, or maybe a mom working at home or wanting to start working from home. What kind of steps should they take? So the big thing that I teach about is the importance of mindfully becoming aware of where you're strong and also where you're weak. And so until we know the things that we struggle with, we're not going to be able to make a big difference. And and what I found over time is that there are many different ways that people don't make good choices when it comes to their money and how they move forward. Some of them are lack of training. Some of them are emotional blocks. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are probably lots of other things that come up, not having resources. And it does take a bit of creativity at the very least to be able to build a business, especially if you're bootstrapping it. But what we can talk about are some of these patterns, some of these ways that we get stuck and help people through them, even in our conversation. Absolutely. I think that one of the main, what's the most common um, kind of obstacle do you see people face? I would say the most common is something to do with cash flow management. So there's a lack of understanding of how much money is coming in, how much money is going out. What do I have to work with? Especially when you're in the first five years of building a business, it's really, really important because it would be very easy to spend all of your income on fueling the business. And so it causes us to be very diligent about how am I going to make better choices about what I invest in and what I pass on. And, And I made all of these mistakes when I was first starting out. I had the good fortune of having a lot of resources. And just because you have them doesn't mean you want to waste them, but I wasted them because I didn't understand that there were a lot of people out there that were more than happy to take my money and I didn't have good procedures of making better decisions of like, who do I hire and who do I say, wait a minute, this isn't going to pencil out. I'm so happy that you brought this up because that's kind of where I come in as in with my online business management agency, because I see this so often that, you know, especially the first year, the newbie entrepreneurs kind of all over the place, nothing's organized. Some people don't even have CRMs and it just drives me crazy. Like how can you not have a CRM? And I think a lot of them um, in the pursuit of looking for, you know, pitching, looking for new business, they, they, they don't really keep up with the bookkeeping sometimes. And some, like you said, like if someone is bootstrapping, sometimes they don't even have the money to hire and outsource money management. They don't have an accountant to look after um, their receipts that, and yeah, and that's why they don't know the cash flow of their business. I've seen this happen with, with some of my clients because they're so disorganized. They think that they're earning more than they actually are. And then they, they overestimate their profits. And yeah, like exactly what you've just said, 
they start to reinvest everything and actually not pay themselves. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I said, you know, it's ridiculous. You need to pay yourself because you will get burnt out if you're working for free. You know, it is your business. So I absolutely um, agree that sometimes the systems and, you know, getting your operations and your foundations right in the very beginning is really important and will help with that. So if, if people come to you and they're kind of maybe listening to this podcast and thinking that's so me (laughs) what kind of steps should they take to start to kind of rectify their their situation so you mentioned like bookkeeping and accounting which you know no matter where you are in the world there's some aspect of that to every business and what I think people need to realize is those are important things, but there's still this day-to-day cash flow management process that is not going to be addressed by your bookkeeper or your accountant. This is all roads are going to lead to you. Like how much money do you have in that account? How much money is going out? Um, you know, on a moment by moment, being in the very present moment of the management of your money. You know, one of the tools that we encourage folks to use or to look into is an app called um, uh, YNAB. It's in the U.S. and Canada, but you have, if you're in the U.K. or Ireland, I have a client in Ireland, and she's able to manually enter things into the system. It's just in the U.S. and Canada, uh, information will automatically come in from your bank accounts, but instead of that happening, you have to do it yourself. But it's these sorts of tools. Uh, You could also do it on a spreadsheet. But being able to know what's been budgeted, what do you have coming up in the next 90 days? Can you actually prepay, essentially, not necessarily pay them ahead, but budget for all the expenses that you're going to spend in your business for the next 90 days, and then know how much money do you actually have left over to work with? Because what's really fascinating is, is... traditional accounting is not about cash flow management. It's about how do you make your taxes work at the end of the year. (laughs) So I think it's introducing this whole other way of being and paying attention to your dollars and cents that most people avoid because let's face it, it's uncomfortable. It's not very fun. It's not exciting. It's not why we got into business. But because most of us cannot afford to have our own um, chief financial officer of our business, we actually need to take some of these roles and responsibilities on. It's just part of the nature of being a really good business person. And what's fascinating about it is once you pay more attention to the cash flow, you find that you think differently about how much money do I actually need to have coming into my business. And if it's not working, you're going to start finding solutions because the next one I would say, so we talked about cash flow management. The next thing is, is people don't focus enough on how much money is coming into their business. They don't try hard enough to increase the income in their business. And they'll try all these things. They'll try all these fancy different approaches, maybe a, a launch or another marketing campaign and yet another marketing campaign. But because they're focused on the marketing and not like the true factor, which is how much money is coming into the business, I think we get distracted by marketing and we don't focus on, well, how am I going to have that $5,000 coming in this month and next month and next or 10 or 20, whatever that number is. But when you're paying attention to your cash and you really spend you know, the time getting to understand it, 
you begin wanting to reverse engineer how much money you need coming in so that you can have a business, not only that pays you, that provides for your retirement and your health insurance, especially in the United States, but it also fuels the growth of your business. Now you might have two or $3,000 every month that you're going to put into the marketing campaigns. And you're being very careful and diligent about all of those factors rather than it being all about a launch. Cause I, people can have like million dollar launches. And by this time they're done, they actually ran a negative. Nobody talks about that story, but this is how we're avoiding that from happening. I love it. I love it so much. You can tell that Lisa, you really know your stuff. I love it. And it's so true. Um, no. And I really advocate for people talking about, you know, the horror stories, you know, <laughs> launches going into negatives. For sure, because I think everyone is so concentrated on like Amy Porterfield and her multi-million launches and no one ever talks about, yeah, like you said, cash management. And if you don't have the habits, um, I had another uh, coach, financial coach in the show, and she said the same thing. If you don't focus on the habits, the money habits from the, from the get-go, it's not going to work, especially when you're hitting those million dollar launches. Um, so that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. So what kind of clients do you tend to get? Who needs help the most, do you reckon? I would say a huge percentage of businesses are not doing this, not at the level that they really need to be doing it. So I end up helping folks who might be therapists moving their practice more to coaching because the financial opportunities are bigger or there's more creativity that they can bring into their business. I work with service professionals um, and coaches who might not be a therapist, but just folks who have very service-oriented businesses where mm -hmm. if you double your prices, for example, you know, in many cases, it's it's pretty clear that people are undercharging and you yes. figure this stuff out when you get into the dollars and cents, you're like, wait a minute, this business is unsustainable yeah. in the way that I've created it. I need to go back and rethink the value proposition. Who is it that I'm targeting? Maybe I have to move to more of a white glove sort of offering because Without it, the business, I mean, we're not in the business of Amazon. Most of us cannot create, you know, millions of people using our products and services. And so, therefore, we cannot be the low-cost provider in our service base. Yeah. Like, whatever we're offering, we're most likely only going to be able to sustain it by being a premium offering. And then I think a lot of people avoid that because it's intimidating. It's intimidating to charge a lot of money. You got to really know your stuff. You're probably going to have to up your game of what you're doing and how yeah. you're helping people. People resist that. But honestly, if you're going to be in business, it is about upping your game. And so yeah. these are the sorts of things that I help people with, like reimagining their business so that it can meet their long-term and short-term goals. And for many people, you know, you just know, you're probably listening to this and you're like, you know, that's probably me. Like I'm thinking yeah. too small. I'm stuck in my own ways. I can't get out of the rut. And, it, and it's natural. We all do it. I hire mm -hmm. coaches because it happens to me, even though I teach other people not to do it. Yeah, it's hard absolutely. to do it by yourself. It's definitely human nature. And it's a discussion that I've had with a lot of the guests in the show as well. A lot of them um, are also service providers and you know, for someone who's starting out, especially if they haven't got a lot, especially in the online world, you know, because people, people in other countries, because of the cost of living is a lot 
lower, they can offer that price point. You know, sometimes just from my like VA friends, you know, there's VA work that's like two, three dollars an hour. Like, how can you compete with that? Um, I have a friend in New York, and she just recently started her VA business, and she's doing like twenty USD. And for her, that's like that's that's not New York, as you know, that's not New York. You can't live in New York at twenty USD. So she's, you know, she's really struggling. And I think, you know, to your point, it is a mindset game and you do have to up your game. So if someone's listening to this and they're a service provider and they are charging 15, 20 USD per hour, but they're based in the US, what can they do to kind of start going through the premium side of things? One thing that, of course, is, you know, the first pathway is if you've, I meet a lot of people and they've done group work. And so that's typically lower cost and they're wanting to up their pricing. I'm looking to say, I'm looking to see what have they done one-on-one? You know, how have they helped people one-on-one? What are some of the things they've done? Because typically, like I said, the up-leveling is going to come from like exact stories of people that you have helped and you can look at them and say, well, here is this person I helped and they were making this much money, you know, especially business to business, which is easier than maybe business to consumer. But if you're helping people make more money and you can see the exact things that you're doing that are helping people improve their bottom line, then you can focus on those things more. You can create you know, coursework around it. I love the hybrid where let's say you do private work, but you also have a course platform where you're teaching people things that you know they need to know over and over again. And then you're coming in as an advisor and counsel that gives them private time. That's a great way to play with it so that you're not just doing one-on-one. You're actually creating intellectual property that can be used over and over again. And you're bringing your, you know, advice and your talent and your skills to help somebody directly apply it to their business. I mean, there's so many different configurations, but that's just one that came to mind. I want to talk about one of the main issues that I see time and time again, and everyone suffers from because it's human nature. And that is the mindset of scarcity. Because a lot of excuses that I hear from, you know, friends and other business um, owners is that if I lower my price, uh, I lo- I'll lose my clients, you know, especially in the online world, because like I said, the, com- the international competitive nature. Um, so how does one start to tackle that kind of fear and scarcity driven mindset? So I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, because I would have thought it would be the opposite. If I increase my prices, I'll lose clients. But you said lower your price. Sorry, increase, increase. Okay. Got it, got it. Okay, (laughs) great. So if you increase your price, you will lose clients. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. The first thing is, is yes, that's probably true in that there is a certain population of people that you are attracting right now and they are only able to pay you a certain price. No problem. That's fine. The thing that happens for most people when they increase prices is they actually open up to a completely different type of clientele. And I think we resist it because we're afraid of that. We're thinking maybe they won't want to work with me. Maybe I'm not used to hanging out with those people. What if I don't know how to help them? Whatever those stories are that come up. But what I have seen consistently is that 
when we increase our prices, we start talking to a completely different group of people. Often those people are those that care about making an investment in their business versus you trying to sell them on like, look, it's so cheap. You should do this. I can make it work for you. That message is very, what they call red ocean, where there's a ton of people out there trying to sell to the bottom of the market. And for that reason, it's not very attractive. It's very confusing. It's all about hype at the lower prices. But when you start up marketing and charging more, you're talking to a more discerning buyer. Like I'm not going to go out and work with somebody who's charging $500 for their services. Like that's just not in my realm. I'm going to be looking at people who are charging probably a minimum of 7,500 and up because I have experience. I take my time far more seriously than probably most people do. And I don't want to work with somebody who's charging that little of an amount of money. So all of a sudden you get a completely different buyer as your price goes up because they've got more experience. They're more serious. They're more committed and they're going to do the work because they're investing more money. Like all of those things are good things. Nothing is wrong with that. Like you want to find the people that are operating at that level. You don't want to be competing with people who may make an investment and it's so small, they don't take it seriously. They don't complete the course, all of that stuff. Like I don't want to deal with those folks in my business. Amazing. Amazing. So tell us about your book because I know that it's super helpful and we're definitely going to put it in the show notes, The Mindful Millionaire. So I have spent the past six years writing this book and it just came out in uh, July of 2020. It's available internationally. Um, It's in English for the time being, but it is really oriented to anyone who wants to improve their relationship with money, knows that their stories from their back, you know, background, their parents, their economic environment, you know, there's, we all have it, no matter who we are, there are stories of limitation from the past. And my goal was to write a book that wasn't just a narrative, but it's like a workbook where I'm walking you through an eight step process that I call I prosper. So that's the middle of the book. If you've seen the artist's way, which Julia Cameron wrote, you know, 30 years ago, inspired to help people reinvigorate creativity in their life. My goal was to write a book that inspired people to reinvigorate prosperity and drop away the ideas of scarcity and limitation and open up to new possibility. But for most people, there's a transformational process that you're going to go through. Mm -hmm. I've been charging tens of thousands of dollars to work with people all over the world to help them go through this process. And what I did was I put it all in a book that you can get for, you know, 17 or 18 bucks US, which is amazing. Like if people didn't realize that this was possible and they're listening to this conversation, like everything I teach about money and changing your relationship is in that $18 book that people, you know, like I said, spent years helping me develop because they were my guinea pigs. Thank God. They were amazing people. And I, I'm grateful to them every day, but they, they gave us their stories and you can read about their stories and the things that they were able to overcome in the book. Amazing. I'm definitely going to get it. I'm so excited. I, you know, you definitely walk the talk and, you know, you've been in the trenches and, you know, you're such an expert in this field. So I'm so 
happy that you gave us a bit of your time. Um, so where can people find you just to wrap up? So two places, wealthclinic.com, you will find more about me, about my podcasts, about things that I do a ton of free content. So you'll be happy about that. And then at mindfulmillionairebook.com, if you're interested in checking it out, we created a beautiful trailer that gives you an introduction. Created that in Hawaii last Christmas. Thank God we were there before all of this started. (laughs) But uh, there's also a podcast there that introduces you to the concepts. Amazing. Yes. I always love having fellow podcasters on the show. And we also have a Facebook group. So hopefully Lisa will be able to mingle there and, and talk to you guys as well. We have a little podcast book club. I, I like to call it the book club where people get to chat about, you know, what they've learned from all the episodes. It's kind of my new, my new thing, trying to build a community out of the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Pauline Malabai Consulting. We are an agency that support visionary CEOs with strategy, coaching, and implementation support. We are their right-hand partners in building and scaling their operations and revenue streams. We give them the space to own their CEO role. If you want to find out more, visit helpmepauline.com and let's continue the conversation. Hey friends, hope you enjoyed this episode of How She Owns It. If you want to be a part of a collective of purpose-driven female visionaries, join our Facebook group, How She Owns It, for insightful conversations, new friendships with fellow CEOs, and tips and tricks to help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Running, building, and scaling a business is hard work, so give yourself credit for owning your definition of success. Now go out and help someone else by subscribing, sharing, and passing this episode on. Give us a review and don't be shy to connect with me on my socials. I can be found at at CEO Pauline Malubai. See you in the next one.